Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel show where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Our ongoing theme of the summer of the road trip continues this week as we head to one of Parks Canada's National Historic Sites located near Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. We'll get a bit of a history lesson and an update on what's open during the summer of COVID-19. Plus, we're going to learn all about the charming inns of Alberta, who they are, where they are, what they offer. Uh, They're also celebrating their 20th year this year. But to start things out, I want to share with you a new book that's out called Checking In, Bringing the Hotel Home. It highlights a number of different luxury hotels from around the world, but it's also a fundraising effort to help out various organizations during this COVID pandemic. The authors are Alexandra Seitz and Kissa Castaneda, and both join me now. The website, by the way, is checkinginthebook.com. Hello to the both of you. Hi. And we should say that Alexandra is in London, England, and Kissa is in Singapore. So we are really international today. So thank you for for doing this. Uh, Let's talk about your book, Checking In, Bringing the Hotel Home. Uh, Again, the website is checkinginthebook.com. Where did the idea come from? Who came up with it first? Uh, It was actually Alex who came up with it. So I'm going to let her explain a bit more how this idea came about. Yeah, so London was in lockdown for almost two months, all of March and pretty much all of April. Um, I've made a career in travel. Um, I've worked in a lot of travel brand and marketing companies. Um, And so a lot of my friends were obviously suffering because obviously no one was traveling. Um, And Kisa and I know each other, uh, have known each other for quite a while now. And we were on the phone and just discussing sort of what's been happening in the industry and like how many of our peers and friends are um, suffering, uh, the whole industry is. And so we were thinking of what we could do to help um, the industry. Um, and so we just thought, you know, why don't we come up with a book that sort of works with a lot of the, some of our favorite hotels and figure out a way to bring that essence home. Um, while at the same time raising funds for 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 those people, um, so that's and then that's basically how it started. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an interesting idea, uh, Kissa. What was your contribution? What what uh, what uh, sparked your interest in this? Well, when Alex and I were chatting, so I work as an editor, so I am the editor in chief of um, Tatler Singapore, and I also handle travel and design for Tatler Asia um, in the region. So I do get a lot of press releases like yourself if you found I, I use trap media as well and I, I've seen like hotels because of COVID they started like launching virtual experiences they wanted to bring the essence of their properties home but each you know each hotel brand would just have their own initiative so I thought hey this is a great idea basically everyone's holidaying at home or having a new, you know a new kind of staycation it's it's sort of a forced one but why not we try to make the most out of it mm-hmm. so we decided like how do we you know since some of the content is already out there how do we make it fresh and make it reach you know a wider audience as well and put a personal twist to it because Alex and I we both love hotels um, I think that's our that's where we spend most of our money traveling as opposed to maybe you know mm-hmm. Procuring stuff, we're, we're, we're the type who we both love um, supporting the industry, mm-hmm. and so we personally chose the 35 hotels that um, made it into the book. We had a long list actually, 
and throughout the, we wanted to finish the book in one month, but throughout the two months that it took us to, to finish the book. So my contribution basically is co-curating the, the hotels, choosing the 35 hotels, and Alex and I reached out to, to, to all the hotels and deciding decided also on the type of content. So each hotel that we chose, we thought about like, What's the best thing about the property? What would we be able to inspire people at home with? So if it's a hotel known for food or known for afternoon tea, we'd ask them about that. So I think it was really thought out in, in that way. Well, these aren't your average, ordinary, everyday hotels, I must say. Uh, they're, they're pretty swanky and from all over the world. So this is kind of a, it's a global cause, isn't it? That's right, yes. Yes. And so now, talk about some of the causes, who you're helping out. So we chose four causes. Um, The first one is based out here in the UK called Hospitality Action, and they've been around for a while, um, and they support people that work in hospitality. So that is anything from the bartenders, the housekeeping concierge, the chefs. And they've basically set up a grant um, to help uh, anyone that is in need. Um, And I thought that was a really nice cause. Um, Then we also uh, reached out to a nonprofit education um, uh, organization called Fire Hospitality. And they work with communities where hotels are based to sort of train them up um, and so that they can get involved in the hotels as well, um, which I thought was really nice. Um, then also in the U.S. and Canada, we've been working with Unite Here. Um, and so they're, uh, they, work, uh, they represent the workers in hospitality um, and airports and airlines. Mm-hmm. We also uh, decided to partner with Wild Philanthropy, um, and they've set up an Africa Tourism Crisis Fund um, uh, to support the communities affected by basically the sudden loss of uh, income from tourism. Um, so I think they were all they all had really nice causes, and also, like you said, this is a global initiative, so we wanted to make sure that we were trying to spread the news, the awareness, as well as the funds so really went global. Mm-hmm. So what do you want your readers to take out of this? Obviously, there's probably some really uh, amazing photos uh, of these amazing hotels, right? Yes, I mean, they're beautiful photos. We're very lucky because putting together this this book from, we were both still in lockdown when we were, were doing this. The hotels obviously have very nice assets in terms of photography and, you know, they were very generous in linking us up with the chefs or the designers or even, you know, the GM giving reading lists or personal recommendations. So I think one of the feed- the feedback that we've gotten from people who have donated and have read the book is that it really made them feel like traveling and really made them miss being in these beautiful places. So one thing about travel is it really is, it, I mean, for me personally, it's just, clean slate it makes me feel new and makes me feel more creative and gives me a you know just makes me feel good and i Mm -hmm. think that's what we want people to to feel you know making your home life better right now and also making a dream of traveling in the future i think so too and there's like when people order the book they actually just download it there's no physical copies sent to them correct that's right yeah so when they donate 
um, they get a download link and they also get some, we also included some social media assets. So it would be great if people can share more because the more people who know, the more donations from this cost, this initiative will We'll get. Well, the, the book is called Checking In, Bringing the Hotel Home. And again, uh, there's no specific cost. It's all by donation, right? Correct. And they can find it on the website, checkinginthebook.com. Alexandra Seitz and Kissa Castaneda are the authors of the book. Again, it's called Checking In, Bringing the Hotel Home. Uh, and the website, checkinginthebook.com. It was so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank for you having so us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Well, if you're looking for a nice little getaway for a few days in a charming inn or smaller hotel, how about trying out the Charming Inns of Alberta? There's a number of them to choose from, and they're also celebrating their 20th year together. So to tell us more about who they are, where they are, and what they offer, we're very pleased to have Gare Friars join us now. He's the president of the Charming Inns and Small Hotels of Alberta. The website is charminginsofalberta.com. Hi, Gare. Hi. First of all, I guess we should say congratulations on 20 years. That's a pretty yeah. uh, pretty good milestone. I'm sure you'd uh, rather celebrate it a little bit differently uh, than this year, though, right? Yes, it was kind of uh, taking over this position. <laughs> came at a very fantastic time as the 20-year anniversary, but also uh, at a very tough time with COVID. Before we get to just how charming the charming inns of Alberta are, why don't you just run down who or what uh, makes up the charming inns of Alberta? Well, charming inns is actually made up of um, 12 properties uh, that are under 50 rooms. Actually, some are actually under 10 rooms um, of, of unique, unique hotels and unique locations. I guess I would say, um, throughout Alberta, all of which have kind of special qualities uh, unique to themselves. Well, let's just run quickly run down the list. Uh, people can find them on the uh, website, charminginsofalberta.com, and click on a particular one. But just run through uh, some of the hotels then. Well, we, we do have the Overlander Mountain Lodge, which is in Jasper, which is absolutely fantastic, a little mountain village there. Um, we're in Drumheller with the Hartwood Inn and Spa, which is actually on the Dinosaur Trail. We've got the Juniper Hotel in Banff. Um, I believe most people, actually, if you've ever driven by, it's the one that essentially sits uh, just off of the highway there and overlooks the entire valley, mm-hmm. which is pretty incredible. Um, we've got the Georgetown Inn, uh, located in Canmore, crossing a Ghost River in Cochrane, Baron Bison, which is also in Canmore which is just a fantastic venue, actually built by hand by the owner, um, Lonnie. We've got uh, the Crandall Mountain Lodge and Kilmory Lodge. And actually, the Kilmory Lodge uh, owner was one of the founders of Terminals of Alberta. Hmm. Um, we've got the Prairie Creek Inn and Rocky Mountain House. And then we've got Baker Creek, where actually I grew up going to, uh, which is just fantastic in Lake Louise. A uh, number of cabins around there. And we've got um, Brad Creek and Riverside, Riverside Chateau and Mount Engadine Lodge, which is actually the one that I own and operate uh, in Camanascus, 
Yes, and we actually did have uh, Simon, the general manager from uh, the Mount Engadine Lodge, as a guest uh, a few weeks back. So we're a little bit familiar with that one. Um, now, you, you touched on it. They're, they're smaller. Uh, what makes them charming, though? <laughs> well, the charming, it's um, the owner-operators uh, are all kind of like-minded in the sense that it's all about guest experience. Um, so they're quaint, um, cozy, upscale. They all have their own aspects to them. So you're not, the, they're not the cookie cutter type and not to knock any into other hotels, but you know, some of the chains, are, you, you know when you walk into a, t- a particular hotel chain what you're going to get. These are all different uh, with different types of personalities, I would assume. You know what, that's a great way to describe it. Obviously, this year being your 20th year and uh, a tough year with COVID, uh, what are some of the protocols and, and changes that you've had to go through and, and some of the uh, hotels had to go through? Well, I, c- I can tell you it's been a very... Very tough year. Um, I think almost all of our properties closed down except for two. Um, for April, May, um, definitely. But because we are smaller, we've got you know a smaller footprint. So every hotel has kind of had to adapt to ensure social distancing and assist with cleanliness, sanitizer, all of that. But uh, it's kind of figuring out exactly how we can meet guest needs um, while meeting the new normal. Mm-hmm. And for if we use Mount Engadine as an example, uh, we used to do family-style dining in our, uh, in our main dining room, and everybody would sit together. Um, now we do in-room dining. Um, we've got a specific number of people that can be in the dining room at any one time, um, it's uh, it's very it's been difficult, but everybody is now slowly figuring it out, and we're seeing a lot of people come in from Alberta um, and start to kind of travel within the province, which has been nice. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was going to ask you that. Obviously, there's uh, no inter- international travelers uh, this summer, which really puts a hit on the uh, your bottom line, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're relying on local tourism. How have you sort of changed tactics uh, doing that? Well, it, it's actually, it, it's been tough for a lot of, a lot of properties, um, especially where you've got, you're holding kind of business retreats or things like that. So those kind of group bookings and international travel bookings, um, you're having to refund payments mm-hmm. and deposits, which really does affect your bottom line and your cash flow. So our marketing tactic really moved to traveling within the province. So that was increasing social media and really increasing awareness for all of the properties within within Alberta, mm-hmm. um, to Albertans. Well, and, and you mentioned, obviously, with reduced space within uh, your restaurants and with the uh, lodges and, and inns themselves, uh, I would imagine if people are looking around, it might uh, become a bit of a surprise that there is no space because <laughs> you have reduced space. Is, there, is it kind of a catch-22? Well, it's very funny. I think a lot of people have... Uh, have adapted in the property, so added seating outside, for example, or, or doing things like that. But we're, uh, yeah, a lot of people are coming in and booking, and and you're only able to take a certain occupancy. Um, we happen to be quite lucky because we're below 50 people mm-hmm. 
What are some of the amenities that you offer? You mentioned, uh, for example, Mount Engadine has the restaurant, but what are some of the other amenities that might be offered at some of the other uh, um, small inns? Um, we've actually got, um, like you can go, you know, ziplining um, in Drumheller. You can go to the ice field. Um, all of the properties do offer food service. So you can't expect food at, at any charming inns. Well, then I'm also looking, uh, for example, again, uh, let's look at the ba- Baker Creek Mountain Resort, which uh, offers um, cabins. So if yeah. you're looking, if you really wanted to, to isolate, I guess the best place to do it is, you know, get a group, if you have a larger family or a couple of families together and, and isolate there for a little while and you don't have to bother anybody, right? Well, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And Baker Creek, for example, uh, offers barbecues on all of their uh, cabins. So people that did want to go and isolate, you, you really can just go to the grocery store, go to a small cabin. Um, and you can do that at Riverside as well. Um, it's Yeah, it's definitely somewhere if you want to get away, you can, and you can just kind of be on your own. Well, it's the Charming Inns of Alberta. The website is charminginsofalberta.com. There's lots to choose from, from all over the province. And uh, congratulations again on 20 years. Uh, Gare Friars is the uh, president of Charming Inns and Small Hotels of Alberta. Thanks for your time, Gare. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, our ongoing theme of the summer of the road trip continues, and one idea for a quick day trip or overnight camping experience is to head to one of Parks Canada's National Historic Sites, such as the one located near Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. So to give us a bit of a history lesson on the site itself and an update on what's open during the summer of COVID-19 is Greg Joyce. He's the site manager for the Rocky Mountain House National Historic Site. Hi, Greg. Hey, Randy, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm ready for a history lesson because I've been to Rocky Mountain House, the uh, town or city, uh, but I've never been to the National Historic Site. So uh, give me a history lesson on the significance of Rocky Mountain House in the area. Well, Rocky Mountain House is located about seven kilometers west of the town of Rocky Mountain House itself. So it's actually situated in the county of Clearwater. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's quite close to the town itself. So if you've been to the town, it's uh, just a short seven-kilometer drive over the bridge and then onto our site. And once you arrive at the site, the site is right on the banks of the North Saskatchewan River. Uh, and uh, the, the, the National Historic Site itself hosts visitors and all kinds of different visitor experiences. And it interprets in an, uh, a, a time uh, during the fur trade of Canadian history. So while you're on the site, uh, you'll see that we're we're able to preserve archaeological resources and remains. The site's quite large, uh, over 500 acres. Wow. Uh, there, yeah, it is quite big. Uh, there are four archaeological remains of the historic sites that were built between 1799 and uh, 1875. Uh, both uh, all sites on the all all uh, forts that were built at Rocky Mountain House were built either by the Hudson Bay Company that we're all familiar with, uh, or the Northwest Company. And then the Northwest Company and the Hudson Bay Companies merged in the, the 1820s. Hmm. Um, so so on, on the site, there are the archaeological remains of those sites. There are also 
uh, a number of uh, pre-contact sites, archaeological remains on our site as well. Uh, and those contact sites, those are indigenous sites that uh, showed use of the land by indigenous people for thousands of years before the fur trade. So. Wow, so I'm going to learn a lot when I uh, visit there. For sure. And uh, when you visit to the site, you land at our visitor center uh, in our parking lot. Uh, in our visitor center, there we have a number of different partners who work with Parks Canada at the historic site. So there's the Confluence Heritage Society. Uh, they're a group of volunteers. They're a nonprofit group. Uh, and what they do is they support Western history, and they align with Parks Canada's mandates to deliver our program. So, so they do the orientation, the introduction. A lot of them are kids from the area, and they'll talk with people about their roots. And, and, and their memories of the area as well. Uh, but you, you start your visit at the visitor center, you go through our gallery. Our gallery talks about the fur trade period, it talks about pre contact period as well, and talks about the archaeological remains and stuff that are on site today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of artifacts inside, a lot of, of items that really connect you to the, to the history. And then once you go out on our grounds and go through our trails, we have a number of hiking trails, biking trails, walking trails, green spaces, picnic spaces, outdoor play fort and play tent, a great spot for families, for young people, for bikers, for riders. And our trails at the historic site are are nice on the site, but they also connect uh, to the county, Clearwater County trails, and Mm -hmm. to the trails for the town of Rocky Mountain House. So you can spend a full day hiking, biking, walking, and our trails connect you to the local areas and to those attractions as well. Nice. Yeah, and then on our site as well, there's a a campground. So we do have a campground. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can, our campground's quite unique because we're a national historic site, not a national park campground. So uh, we have uh, diverse accommodations where you have an opportunity to rent a teepee for the night, uh, sleep on a on a bison robe, and we give you the 19th century accoutrements to cook with, and we teach you how to light a fire with a flint and steel. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a great experience. People love it who are traveling kids. If you don't want to take your tent along with you, we also have trapper tents, which are uh, trap-lined uh, tents, that uh, canvas tents that uh, are on platforms, and they have uh, 19th century bedding and, and uh, beds in them and furniture, and you kind of have that explorer kind of a mm. kind of experience there, a glamping type of an experience, and they're quite popular as well. And they're right along the, the North Saskatchewan River with access points and so forth. Nice. And then we also have two trapline cabins, which are, uh, you know, they're, they're reflective of the trapping period for the Métis people mm-hmm. uh, in that area there. So you can rent our trapline cabins, and they're fully, they're kind of like the authentic experience that you get in the national park, but we put that cultural twist to it. So it's a, it gives you that cultural, authentic experience in, in our heritage site. Wow. Um, they're, they're quite nice, and they're very, very popular. Mm-hmm. And on our site, we also partner with Métis Local 845, who are, an um, association of uh, Region 3, Métis of Alberta. And with the Métis uh, as, uh, contractors that we have on site or staff that we have there, uh, they do a lot of, um, of personal programming. And they go through the, the historic, uh, you know, they have staff in costume and they cook, they light the fires and they cook bannock and make Labrador tea. And they, they speak about the history of the Métis people and of the indigenous people in the area, and show uh, some of the things that uh, you know that uh, they show the historic way they would have done things. And they talk about contemporary as well as what what the Métis people and the importance, and that the Métis people still strive and are very successful today as well. Cool. Well, as you know, this uh, COVID thing has kind of changed a lot. So, what are some of the things that uh, people are restricted uh, on a visit now? 
So your visit now will still bring you to the site, um, to our to our parking lots, but our visitor centers are closed. Our washrooms are open. Our picnic areas, our green spaces are open. Um, our trails are all open, so take your bikes, uh, you know, take uh, or come for walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trails are all open, and our campground is open, front country camping. So none of our diverse accommodations or campground accommodations are open, but our front country camping is open. Uh, like I said, our trails are green spaces on site. We also have a boat launch, so for kayakers and canoers, non-motorized boat launch uh, on site as well. And we also have a bison herd on site. So we have a bison viewing platform and trails that go along our, our bison fence line. And we have a herd of 10 bison who, who are on site all the time. So you can take some, some cool. natural views of natural animals, but also see our bison mm-hmm. in our pastures as well. Now, when you say front camping, that's uh, if I have a trail, like my own camping uh, uh, accommodations, if you have your own, right? Your own tent or yeah. your own uh, camper travel trailer. Yeah, you can bring your own tent. We're, we're not, we, Part of our normal offer would be we could provide a camping experience, your tent and stuff for you, but we're not providing those types of offers at this time because mm-hmm. of COVID. So you need to bring your own accommodation and your own tent or your own camper, and you, you stay in our front country camping areas. So, no. And those areas have washrooms, and, and uh, um, our showers are closed, so you, you can't use our showers at this mm-hmm. time, but our washrooms are fully accessible and our, and our pit purvies are fully accessible. Uh, now, you were talking about some of the artifacts. Is that area where you're displaying some of the artifacts, is that open? Yeah, so so as you walk through our trails, you can go, you, you can't, the, the gallery, the main gallery where the artifacts are not open, but the archaeological remains are open. So they're, well, not open, but there are four fort sites, mm-hmm. and you can walk through those fort sites, which are covered, so there's no artifacts that you could pick, nor should you dig or take anything <laughs> from them. Yeah. But there are, we have plaques that you can read, and we have uh, areas that kind of explain uh, what you can, uh, what you'll see, or, or or, you know what the use of that particular area was in front of you, and you can see all the contours of the land, and you can see that the uh, we have some above ground chimneys from one of the fort, the last fort that was built there, or the, nice. third, yeah, the last fort that was built there. Yeah. And now I'm going to assume, and you should never assume because that gets you into trouble. But the forts and things they are replicas, right? Yeah, so the, the fort that's a replica is the um, is the play fort that you'll see up by the, the main visitor center building, and that's still closed, and there's mm-hmm. a playground and play fort and a puppet theater. I should have mentioned that our Confluence Heritage uh, Society does a, a, a puppet show every day on David Thompson. As David Thompson, Charlotte Small are very important characters to our period mm-hmm. and our fur trade, very important Canadian history. Uh, that fort is a play fort, but the other forts, uh, are all archaeological remains, so they're ground level and below. Okay. Uh, the only thing that's above ground level are a couple of the chimneys on the third fort. Now, there's also the second fort that was built that has a volumetric design uh, around it, which is a steel structure that was that is reconstructed to show you the size and the height of a fort, of wow. what a fort would have looked like during that period. Very cool. It sounds very interesting, uh, even if you, you can't do some of the things that you would normally, but it's still an interesting visit. You can find lots of information on uh, yep. the Parks Canada website. It's pc.gc.ca is Parks Canada, and then just you know find Rocky Mountain House National Historic Site. And uh, Greg Joyce is the site manager for the Rocky Mountain House National Historic Site. I learned a lot, Greg. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling. Really appreciate chatting with you. Mm-hmm. 
And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.